Well, good morning, church. So we've just heard three verses, three different stories of three different patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And what is the common thread that you noticed as you heard those three verses? I hear some, I see some lips moving, but I don't hear any noise here. What's that? Faith? Okay. Yeah? Be more specific. Sorry? Looking towards the future. All right. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Sunday school answer, right? And in a sense, yes, ultimately, Jesus was the answer, the the promise, right, that, that God had, had uh, ultimately given, the, the actual fulfillment of the promises that God had given Abraham and that he had repeated to Isaac and that Jacob heard from his dad and, and Joseph would have heard from his, from his grandfather. And, and so I would say this, that the common thread I see in these three verses is the idea of finishing well. Remember, it's, it's not how you start the race. I mean, that matters. I mean, you got to start running the race, right? Uh, you got to get saved to begin the race of faith. But, but finishing the race matters. It's vital. And so we're going to look at, at three points that I, I see in this passage. They're all kind of related. And I, but, but we're going to start with finishing with faith. And I think you'll see this theme repeated here at the end of, end of our message as we look at Joseph's instructions regarding his bones. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff there. But first, let's talk about finishing with faith, and let's read these verses one more time, and I want you to just think about how each of these men were at the end of their lives when they gave these blessings and these instructions, all right? We read, actually, when you go back to Genesis, that both Isaac and Jacob uh, were dim in sight at the end of their lives as they gave these instructions. So look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So in all three of these cases, we see faith at the final hour. At the, at the very end of their lives, by faith, the patriarchs looked beyond death to God's promises. They, they were certain of things they did not yet see. And as such, they are a prime example of Hebrews 11.1, 1, which, which described faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, everything in our society and frankly, the way God has even designed us as human beings is, is wired to try to resist death, right? We're doing all we can to live. We don't even like to think about death unless it's some sort of strange, morbid fascination with zombies or something like that. But the first thing we do at, at, at accidents where people die is cover the body so that other passerbyers don't happen to see what death brings on. Our whole culture is against death, so we're trying to resist death, but we need to think about it. What will you see when it's your moment, when it's your time to die, when you reach the end of your life? Will you just see the machines around you that were designed to keep you living and going, right? Or, or maybe and I hope this doesn't happen to you, but for some of us, we, we, none of us know the days of our death. We tend to think, well, we're going to get a good long run, but we don't know that. You, you, your last visual may be that of a wreck, of wreckage around you. You don't know. But what will you see? Will you just see those things? Or will you be able to look forward to what lies beyond the Rubicon? What did Stephen see in his last moment, Right? Did he just see the, the angry mob with rocks jeering, ready to kill him with stones? What a, what a horrible way to go, if you think about it. Being surrounded not by loved ones and family, but by people who are intent on your demise. 
Well, Stephen looked beyond the veil. We read in, in Acts chapter 7, 56, he cried out to that jeering mob. He couldn't help it, but he cried out, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And so these patriarchs, these, these men of faith, who certainly weren't perfect men of faith, I mean, you, you read Isaac made some of the same mistakes as his father Abraham, right? He, you know, he told a, basically allowed his wife to be taken into a, another harem and, and told him that she was a sister because he was, too, you know, afraid of risking his own neck. These were not perfect guys, okay? Jacob, the deceiver, right? Uh, would you really want him around your Thanksgiving table, you know, or in your household? Would you want to be his sibling? These are some sinful people, but they lived, they, they trusted God and they believed God's promises beyond. And they did this specifically when it mattered most in their last days, in their last moments. They finished well. Dr. Leon Morris, New Testament scholar, wrote this, with all three, the significant thing was their firm conviction that death cannot frustrate God's purposes. Their faith was such that they were sure God would work his will. So they could speak with confidence of what would happen after they died. Their faith being stronger than death, in a way, overcame death, for their words were fulfilled. Well, I think of, of Paul, who was able to write in a dank Roman dungeon to his disciple Timothy, shortly before the moments of his death. I mean, he knew that he was facing the end when he wrote 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, through 8, some of the last words that we get from him. He writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, brothers and sisters, I, I long for you and for myself that we would run our race well. We, we don't know where in the race we are. Some of us know that we're near the finish line. Some of us think we're at the beginning, but you don't know that. So there's not a day to lose in the race of faith. There's not a day to lose. None of us here are guaranteed that we'll be here next week. So make today a good day of running that race of faith, and that simply means look to Jesus Christ. And if you're towards the end, maybe your body's starting to fail, right? Maybe your memory is starting to fail. Maybe you're struggling a little bit with, with fear because we, we long to be whole. Look beyond the veil. Look to the promises of God, the promises that Jesus made, that he's preparing a place for you. And, and keep running, sister and, and brother, to the very end. And let's pray for one another that, that we may die the way that we've lived. And that's well. That's by faith. That's, why, that's my prayer for you and for me, that we would finish with faith. But we see more here. We see blessing others in faith. That's our second point this morning. Blessing in faith. That's what we see in verse 20 and 21. And this is actually something that we don't really do a lot or think a whole lot about in our culture, although we, we do this in certain ways, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But that is blessing our children in our grandchildren. And, and this idea of a blessing was extremely important in the patriarch's day. And so in on verse 20, we read about Isaac's blessing. We read that by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And in, in Genesis chapter 27, we actually read the story of Rebekah and uh, Rebecca basically conspiring and putting her son Jacob up to tricking Isaac, elderly Isaac, into giving Jacob's son Esau's blessing. I'm sorry, giving Isaac's blessing to Jacob. Uh, 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 Esau's blessing to Jacob from Isaac. Uh, that was a tangled sentence there. I hope you got it. Those of you who have read Genesis 27 know what I'm talking about. But basically, God had told Isaac's wife, Rebekah, back in, in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, that the twins in her womb, Esau and Jacob, who were already kind of tangling in the womb, right, and actually distressed her. Remember, she had been a barren woman 
whom the Lord had, had blessed with twins, and so now they're, they're tussling in there, and, and so she seeks the Lord to see what's going on. Is everything going to be okay? And the Lord says, you have two nations in your womb. In other words, yeah, your children are going to be born all right, uh, but there, there are two nations in your womb, and the, the older shall serve the younger. So, so doubtless, Rebecca had shared this truth with Isaac, but we, we see here in, in, in Genesis chapter 7 that by the end of his life, Isaac opted, instead of following the word of the Lord, he opted to follow tradition and his own preference, his older son Isaac, and when I say older, uh, I'm sorry, his older son Esau, boy, I'm tangling names up, his, his older son Esau uh, was a hunter, right, and, and was kind of a man's man, and so he was dad's favorite, and, and the, the, the younger son, Jacob, and when I say younger, I mean younger by a few seconds, because he popped out hanging on to his older twin's heel, if you remember, right? So they came out about the same time, but Esau, you know, you could say was the firstborn in terms of time, if you had a stopwatch, maybe. Um, well, well, Rebecca preferred her younger son, who was more a man of, you know, preferred to kind of stick around the tents and, and maybe, you know, knew how to dress, had a little more of a fashion sense to him. Well, Isaac intended to follow his preference and his tradition and give his older sense his blessing, and he was tricked. And yet, I think that he recognized, having kind of spent some time this week going through this story, I think that he recognized even God's sovereignty over even the sinfulness of Jacob's trickery. And he refused a redo of the blessing for Esau, right? Now, you could say, well, according to tradition, you, you know, once a blessing was given, it was done. But, but we see that, that actually he blessed Jacob a second time in Genesis chapter 28. And he knew what he was doing. In fact, that blessing was even more spiritual. He recognized that, that God was going to pass on the spiritual line, indeed, through Jacob. And so in Genesis chapter 28, this is how Isaac blessed Jacob. He said, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. We read that later in his life, um, at the very end, Jacob, who had been the, the younger, who had taken the position of the older, that when he was dying by faith, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now notice in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 48, we're going to look at some verses, and as we do, notice that, that Jacob also inverted the normal order when he blessed his grandsons, Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So in Genesis chapter 48, verse 13, we read, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and Israel is the name here for Jacob, all right, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And of course we know as we look at the history of the tribes of Israel, that Ephraim ended up being more prominent than Manasseh. Manasseh actually had a sad tendency towards wickedness in Israel's history. So let's talk for a little bit about blessing. How might this impact us? Well, notice that in both of these blessings that we just read, there was a passing on of spiritual heritage. There was a, there was a passing on, as it were, of spiritual heritage to sons and 
grandsons. And there was a prophetic element in these blessings. And if you read on in Genesis chapter 49 about Joseph's blessings of his brothers, you, you, you actually see, or of, of, of Jacob's blessing of, of Joseph's brothers, you see some very specific prophecy here. Like Zebulun will dwell by the shore of the sea. And you think, how did, how did he know that? You know, he's talking about centuries later. Well, this is simply God's revealing to him some specific revelation. But what we see here is that with these blessings is that words matter. God accomplished the words of these blessings in the distant future. So one theologian wrote, blessings given in accordance with God's purposes cannot quickly or cannot possibly fail. So we may wonder, well, you know, our, our culture is quite different today, right, than in, in the patriarch's day. And so the whole idea of blessing children and blessing others might seem a little bit uh, strange to us. How do they work? Uh, do, do they work the same as back then? Do they have the same prophetic kind of importance or power as back then? And I would just caution us here against presumption. Uh, it's, it's better to stick with the revealed promises of God than to invent our own. Okay, we, we have the completed revelation of God. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had appearances of God, things that God spoke to them. And, and I believe some impressions that the Spirit gave their hearts at times. But we have the completed Word of God, and so I would caution us against presumption, but also against self-interest, right? You know, may the Lord bless you and prosper you, little one, financially, such that you may provide a great retirement for your old man in years to come, right? It can get, we, we can, it may be more subtly, we could, we could, you know, may you be the, 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 you know, the greatest track star, may you be the captain of the football team, you know? Um, so, so let's guard against presumption, and self-interest, but I would definitely encourage you parents to pray blessings over your children. In fact, we, we do blessings maybe more than you may realize when you stop and think about it. We do child dedications. That's an opportunity for you in, within the covenant of your church family to dedicate your child to the Lord, to ask God to cover them, and to promise to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. When we close out a service, usually we close it with a benediction, which is a blessing over you. And it's a prayer uh, from God's word over you. And ultimately, when you look back even at these patriarchal Old Testament blessings, ultimately they were prayers. The, the word may was used, right? They, they are prayers to a sovereign God for his blessing on children and grandchildren. And these blessings included worship. And so mystery man here who writes Hebrews says that Joseph bowed in worship over the head of his staff as he blessed his two grandchildren at the very end, the, the very last days of his life. And, and these were specific prayers with an attitude of dependence on God to bring them about. As I spent some time this week thinking about these blessings, I was reminded of the importance of praying over my children every night. And I, and I hope you will think about that. Some of you may regularly pray over your children every night. Uh, it, it, in some ways, it's easier to do it when they're little and young, you know, going to bed early. Uh, it may be a little more awkward when they're teenagers or when they're going to bed later than you do. Uh, it can get a little more complicated, maybe, a little more difficult. But I was reminded of the importance of praying over my children every night. You know, last, last week I shared about my own personal struggle of faith to trust God to protect my firstborn when she was little, when she was not even one. And we were preparing to move as a family over to Afghanistan where I knew that she would be in a very dangerous place. And, and so every night, every night, I, I begged God to to bless her and to keep her and to, to, to make his face shine upon her 
and to be gracious to her and to, to give her, to surround her by his peace. And, and in that, I was praying for God to save her at a young age, to keep her alive and well and to prosper her until she could come to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and to believe in him. And, and I was praying just that God would bless her life and make her a blessing to others. And, and I can't help but believe that, that the Lord honored that. You know, the, the, that struggle, it, it really led to increased prayers and to increased blessings at night. And when she fell 15 feet, landed on the back of her head, and there wasn't a scratch, not a bruise, I can't help but think that God was, I know God was miracul- miraculously saved her, but that there was a connection to all those prayers for, for his watch care over her. And so, moms and dads, let me encourage you to, to pray over your kids at night and, and to bless them. And it might be that simple prayer, that simple blessings from, from Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face or his countenance to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, you may be thinking, well, you know, my kids have grown up. Um, they're not at home anymore. My, my grandchildren are in a different place. They're in a different state or a different country. Well, here's the thing. God isn't constrained by space, right? You can still do this, even if you're not in the same room. Although, I like being in the same room, okay? Uh, I think it's great to sneak into your kid's room at night and pray over them. Um, but maybe you can't do that anymore. But you can. You could kneel before your bed. You could put out your, your hand. And you could pray that blessing over them. Over your grandkids. And ask God to protect them. Ask God to, to give them His peace. It may be a prayer of salvation. It may be a prayer for a, a future spouse. But pray for and bless your kids. And lastly, and we're going to spend some time here on our last point. First point was, was, was basically finishing well, finishing with faith. Um, second point was, was blessing in faith, and by that, blessing our progeny in faith. Bless your spouse as well, but blessing your progeny, uh, pass on that spiritual her- heritage. Um, there's a lot of ways, I think, to apply this concept of blessing. Having family devotions, but passing on that, 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 that spiritual her- heritage, knowing that that it takes the Holy Spirit. We can't save our kids or our grandkids. Only the Holy Spirit can, right? But we can sure ask the sovereign, loving God to do so. And so, so don't give up. Maybe some of you are on a long, hard road with that. Don't, don't give up the blessing. But finally, identifying through faith. What does that mean? We're going to get to that in a minute. I hope, to, hope by the time you walk out of here, you, you get what I mean by that word identity or identifying with Christ and with his people through faith. So let's look at verse 22. We read Mystery, Man, Mystery Man's words are, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Now that's pretty interesting. Okay, um, the, 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 the last third or maybe quarter of Genesis... Like Genesis chapter 37 through 50, minus the sordid chapter of 38, which is all true, and one of the ways that we know Scripture is true is because it's authentic, and it tells us the sin of man, and we read this horrible story of Judah in Romans, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 38, but Genesis 37 and 39 through 50 are all about the story of Joseph, this huge portion of, of this monumental book, the book of Genesis, but the story of Joseph and how God saves two nations, the nation of Israel, which was still in seed form, right? And the, the almighty, or wasn't almighty, but the mighty empire of Egypt through Joseph's faith. And I'll tell you, what a story. If you haven't read the story of Joseph in a while, go back this week and if you can in one go, it may be hard to do that. It's going to take a couple hours. Um, maybe, it's, you know, maybe it's your devotion time throughout the week. Read Genesis 37 through 50. When I was, when I was down with COVID and on all kinds of medication, okay, 
um, I read Genesis 37 through 50. Let me tell you, it's a tearjerker, okay? I was sitting there, and probably there was a little bit of steroids or something involved in this. Uh, I was crying like a baby, going through this story of, of like, you know, talk about a roller coaster. I mean, low to high to low to high, and betrayal. Joseph and his brothers, and, and then when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, I mean, I was just sitting there crying. Beth walked in the room, and I'm trying to kind of, you know, throw my, you know, the reading glasses and, you know, covering it up, and she just kind of does a double take, like, are you okay? What a story. Betrayal and, and forgiveness and reconciliation of brothers and dependence on God and, and on God's sovereignty despite horrible things that turned out to be salvific. Amazing story, so go read the whole story. But what strikes me here is that when you think of Joseph and faith, okay, the concept of faith, what could we learn from this man's life about faith? Well, I think there are a number of examples from Joseph's life that Mystery Man could have pointed to here. He could have pointed to Joseph's steadfast faith in God through a turbulent roller coaster life of ups and downs. And after being betrayed by his brothers, he's cast into a pit and sold into slavery in Egypt. But then we read in Genesis 29, 2-4, that the Lord was with Joseph, away from his family, betrayed by his family, a slave in a foreign country where they speak a different language and have a whole different culture. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, Man, there's so much we can learn from Joseph about blessing our enemies, right? And seeking to do good to, to others who have done us harm. There's so much we can learn from this guy. But his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. I mean, I would point to that if I was a mystery man. Or his enduring faith in God. After refusing to give in to the seduction of Potiphar's wife, what happened? How did he get rewarded for his faithfulness to the Lord? Well, he gets cast into another pit. And he spends years there, if you read the story carefully, years in jail. But instead of despair, we read in verse 21 of Genesis 39, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed well he was blessed by God in jail but he was still in prison in fact when he gets out he refers to it as the pit this wasn't a pleasant place and yet Joseph what, a, what an example of confidence and faith in the Lord that radiated out to others such, such a, he was such an open man that people trusted him they came to him with their problems he was, he was a problem solver so much you can learn about faith in the marketplace you can learn about faith cross-culturally through Joseph, right? I mean, Joseph becomes culturally an Egyptian, we're going to see here. But look at, look at this. After several years in Pharaoh's prison, he's sprung when Pharaoh's cupbearer, his chief cupbearer, remembers that Joseph had this ability to accurately interpret dreams. So Joseph gets a shave and a change of clothes, and suddenly he's, he goes from the pit to standing before Pharaoh, a very OCD Pharaoh about a nightmare he had had, right? And so he stands before Pharaoh as the hope for the empire. And notice this, that by faith, Joseph exhibits great humility and, and, a, and a heart to give God glory. So instead of taking credit for his ability to interpret dreams, he gives glory before the emperor to Yahweh God. So we read in Genesis 41, verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, 
you can interpret it. Later, actually, Pharaoh actually says, is there anyone like this that has the Spirit of God in him? Okay? So here's Joseph's opportunity, right? Take a little credit, do a little maneuvering. Instead, he says to Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. We see Joseph's faith in giving glory to God. And of course, we know that the Lord used him. The Lord gave him his favor. The Lord gave him the ability. He gave him the trust of Pharaoh himself and and the Egyptian empire. Put Joseph in, in, in charge of the administration of the whole place. Right? And to prepare the land for famine. Then after all the drama with his brothers, and boy, that's, that's some drama. There's some high drama there. You know, and Joseph even messes with him a little bit. I'll give you that. Um, but, but then, after the drama with all of that, as a lord over Egypt, with execution power, with a snap, Joseph demonstrates faith through forgiveness. And man, I mean, we could, we could do a whole sermon on that. Right? I mean, I think all of us, all of us have someone we need to constantly work at forgiving. Well, that's what I, I mean, that's what I would have, I mean, I would have, I would have, if I was a mystery man, I'm trying to use Joseph as an example of faith. How about forgiveness? We, we read in Genesis 45, verse 4 through 8. So Joseph said to his brothers, this is at that moment of high drama, come near me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Years later, we read at the very end of this story, uh, the last chapter of Genesis, that after Jacob dies, his brothers become afraid that, hey, you know, memories are long. And we see, and and now we're going to get it. Now we're going to get the guillotine or whatever the Egyptians used. Well, after Jacob dies, we see Joseph's faith And God's sovereign plan for his life, again, demonstrated through forgiveness. So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, we read that when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. I just love Joseph's response. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Can you you find some ways that Joseph pointed to Jesus Christ? I mean, dude, if I'm writing Hebrews 11, right, I think he'd get a chapter. And there'd be all these cool connections, right, from Joseph to Jesus and to faith. But instead of any of those episodes or others from Joseph's life, Mystery Man here highlights Joseph's faith at the very end of his life. Verse 22 again. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Ah, I found that a little bit interesting. His bones. You know, bones, bones, you know, you know, remember that song, you know, thigh bone, leg bone, 
He was worried about his bones, right? We're thinking about his bones. I remember Grace as a little kid in Afghanistan doing the, you know, pointing her thigh bone and her, you know, her shoulder bone and all that kind of stuff. Well, what can we possibly learn from this? I, I think a lot. I think actually a lot. Let's look back at the last few verses of Genesis chapter 50, okay, as we, as we kind of come to a conclusion here. Uh, last few verses of Genesis chapter 50. Long approach, not a short approach. And Joseph said to his brothers, Genesis 50, verse 24 through 26, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of the land to this land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Well, there's two points that I hope you'll remember from this story of Joseph's faith as he ended well. And and the first point is that faith, true faith, is future-oriented, but it's rooted in God's past promises about the future. All right? So Joseph is thinking back to God's promises to Abraham that were passed down to him, right? Uh, That spiritual heritage that had been passed down to him from his father when he was a kid, that Jacob... That deceiver Jacob, who, who followed Yahweh and, and had a relationship with God, wrestled with him even, right? He passed down a godly heritage, which Joseph believed. And I, I think this is pretty incredible, because 400 years happened after Joseph died and his bones were actually taken out of Egypt. 400 years. But he gave clear instructions. Hey, when, after I die, I'm not to remain here because of a future-oriented faith. This week I asked Morgan Wilde, how did this promise, I had some ideas, but I wanted to see what he had to say. How, how, did, how did belief in this promise, and how did, how did Joseph with these instructions show faith? And so Morgan wrote this to me, and I thought it was quite good, so I'm just going to read verbatim what he wrote. By requesting that his bones be buried in the land of Canaan like his father, Joseph was trusting in the promises of God. Rather than attempting to immortalize his legacy among the tombs of Egypt, pagan gods and deified pharaohs, Joseph hung to the hope that the one true God was going to grow his insignificant tribal clan into a mighty nation that would dwell in the land of promise. So that's where he wanted to be. Though outwardly he was an Egyptian, in his heart he identified as an Israelite. In other words, a follower of Yahweh. To the Egyptians, this must have sounded crazy. They meticulously embalmed their pharaohs to preserve their bodies in monumental tombs along with treasure and personal possessions in order to ensure that they had a decent afterlife experience. But Joseph entrusted his body to be buried and to decompose out in the wilderness of Canaan somewhere. It must have seemed like an outlandish request. Yet Joseph knew that his eternal home was secure in God. He lived and died with faith. Good job, Morgan. You summed it up, right? We can touch down now, except that I want to expound a little bit more. Let's keep that future-oriented faith, all right? Let's keep believing in God's promises that he's made in the past about a glorious future, right? Let's do that. Even now, when we see war, what did Jesus say? There'll be wars and rumors of war until he returns. This is part of the sad state of human history, but it points to the prophecies that Jesus made about his coming back. Right now, the temptation for us, we could go either way with it, you know, you could fret and, and worry, especially if you're a student of history, you know, and you're like, hey, World War I didn't seem to be that much different how it all started off, right? But now we got like more tech, and now we got nukes, right? So there could be worry about another world war. Doesn't take much for things to spin up 
and, and accidents and egos and, and pride and, you know, next thing you know, this thing's a whole lot worse. So there could be that temptation. Or on the other hand, there's the temptation, and this might be a little more me, you know, confession time, uh, to be cheering on the, the rebel alliance as they stick it to the evil empire. That could be a temptation, right? Yeah, those, that bear swallowed a porcupine, you know, go, you know, take him out. But brothers and sisters, let's make sure that we keep gospel focus through this. Let's not get so caught up in either fear or, or you know, cheering on um, one side. Um, I mean, nobody likes a bully. And, and, and I, I, I personally hope those Russians get kicked out of there in a jiffy. But let's keep gospel focus. Let's make sure to pray for our brothers and our sisters in Christ who are in the middle of this, frankly, on both sides. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters who are hunkered down right now um, in, in subways and in, in cellars, not knowing if they're going to live another day with a bunch of other people who don't know if they're going to live another day. Let's pray that they would be really bold with the gospel right now. Because you know what? They probably have a real opportunity. A lot of openness around them. People who don't know when their finish line is, right? Let's pray. You know, chaos is opportunity often for the gospel. So we should be praying for that. We, we should certainly be praying for God to restrain evil. I have been. Uh, praying for, for the, his protection on the vulnerable. Man, I have been. But let, let's pray for gospel opportunity. Let's also pray for, you know, there's some, there may be a Russian conscript on a tank crew, who doesn't even know what country he's in, he's just doing his job, who knows Jesus Christ. And his tank crew may get Molotov cocktailed, right? We're blown, blown away. Let's pray for him to share the gospel with his comrades. So let's make sure to keep a gospel focus through this. But ultimately, let's pray for the return of the, of the Prince of Peace. Let's pray that Jesus will come back. Do you want him to come back? I hope you do. I mean, this, this is why it's God's, in a sense, God's grace that he doesn't allow us to have it too good or too peaceful. We may be tempted to buy into our world's philosophy and try to get it all here now instead of having that eternal focus. So let's ourselves keep a future-oriented faith that's rooted in God's past promises, as Joseph did, as, as chaos swirls around us. But let's also make sure that we identify with the people of God through faith, like Joseph did. You know, culturally, Joseph had become Egyptian. I mean, he went to Egypt when he was 17, okay? And again, I, I think Joseph is a great case study for missionaries and, and cross-cultural workers to, to, to learn how to contextualize, how to, how to winsomely live and, and adapt the forms of another culture, and he did. And, and he, he married an Egyptian woman, and his, his sons had Egyptian names. We, we read that in his life, he was, he was like, like other Egyptian lords and pharaohs. He was embalmed, right? He wore Egyptian clothes. He ate Egyptian food. He spoke their language. You even see in his interaction with his brothers that he was a cultural expert even on how Jews could potentially interact with Egyptians, and, and yet, he did not succumb to the Egyptian religious worldview. Right? Now think about that. He, he came to Egypt at the age of 17. Early life, major ups and downs. The majority of his 110-year-old life, he lived in a position of power and splendor. And it would have been very easy for him. There would, it would have been very easy for him to give in to the temptation that, hey, you know what? Maybe these Egyptians... Maybe they got it right. I mean, my, my heritage, you know, uh, nomads li living out in the wilderness. Maybe Abraham got it wrong a little bit, right? But, but, but his entire life was predicated on a worldview of polytheism and of, and of deified emperors. Would there have been a temptation for Joseph to have taken on the title of a deity? But he didn't. And neither must we. Like Joseph, we need to be sure that we remember 
to identify with the people of God, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to beware the false philosophies that are swirling around us. Philosophies like hedonism, thinking that a luxury resort or a cruise is better than heaven. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going on a nice vacation. I like vacations. But in terms of where do we set our hope? You know, these experiences are temporary. They're, they're limited in scope. They're, they're not going to fill your soul. And while they may be great for a week, they're not going to last forever. In fact, if, if they did, you know, it wouldn't take much for things to go wrong. That vacation, it would not take much if you think about it. Maybe I think about these things too much. It wouldn't take much for that vacation to turn into Lord of the Flies. I'm telling you. You remember the cruises at the beginning of COVID, right? Where suddenly you go from living it up to prisoner in your stateroom with this virus spreading around a ship. You can't leave and nobody wants to take you in and the good food runs out. You remember that? Like people would be stuck on a boat that went from from like a, you know, a, 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 a dream to a nightmare, right? And, and no country or port would let them in. And like, you know, that, that sorry, I, some of you are planning to go on cruises. I'm, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to ruin your day here. But don't give in to hedonism. Don't put all your hope in that. Look forward to it, right? Make sure though that your heart, your heart is reserved for heaven. And while you're there, don't buy into the worldly philosophy around you. They're just living it up. Uh, is everything. I remember being on a cruise with Beth early in our marriage. And we were out, you know, in the outside deck and they had this party going on. And, and there was an older lady who just, like, something went wrong. I don't know if we just hit a wave or something. But she, she I, I shouldn't laugh. She hit the deck hard, right? And, and the cruise, everybody stops, right? Because suddenly you have, a, you have reality. Someone just got hurt. And, you know, the medical people got there and were working on her. And I think she survived. And, and I just remember thinking, this is reality. And, and, and then, you know, the cruise director then tried to kind of whip everybody back up and let's applaud that brave woman and party in her honor, you know. You know, it's kind of a, maybe, maybe there would have been a better way to transition. Hedonism, watch out for it. Watch out for humanism. Not just hedonism, humanism. And I'm just ruining everybody's day here. Um, a vacation to Disney World. Nothing wrong with that. If you're going to Disney or you just got back, great, okay? But encount, expect at Disney World to encounter the false philosophy, the false religion of humanism, of self-worship that says, hey, it's all about you. You just need to summon the inner goodness that you have, right? Self-actualization instead of dependence on Jesus Christ. Now, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. So yeah, listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, you could tie Jiminy Cricket to the Holy Spirit maybe, kind of. You know, I mean, you know, listening to the, you know, the right voice, yes. Listening to yourself, uh, the heart is deceitful, right? Utterly wicked, so watch out for humanism, even from things that look really good and enjoyable experiences, like a vacation at Disney World. Watch out for materialism, the house, the car, the boat, all those things that we think are assets can very quickly become liabilities, right? Doesn't take much, you know? A water leak, a car wreck, rats. I'm just ruining everybody's day. <laughs> just so you know, I got, I got rat traps and rat poison in my garage because there's an ongoing battle going on, right? Some days I have the upper hand, some days I don't. Beware false philosophies brothers and sisters. Make sure that your identity, your chief identity, is with Jesus Christ. If I asked you, who are you? What, what would come first? Right? Your gender? Your nationality? Your college football team allegiance? What would it be? I, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm part of the people of God. The Catholic little c, the universal worldwide church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I I do want to specifically right now pray for your church in persecuted and hard places. And Lord, one thing that we see here is that we could be sitting in a room um, with, with comfort, with air conditioning and internet, and, and suddenly be in the middle of a war zone. And so we know that your people right now in European cities are living in war zones, not sure if they're going to make it through the day or through the night. Lord, we pray that you would comfort them. Pray that they could cry out to you, that they could pray the Psalms of Lament. Lord, we do ask you to cover them and protect them, but even more, I ask you to guard their faith and to propagate it. Lord, I pray that they, like Joseph, would be able to use um, this ca- the chaos around them and the hardship as a platform to boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others and to give you honor and glory. Lord, we, we pray even for, for your people who, who uh, are on the other side. Lord, we, we pray that, that your spirit would control them, Lord, that would put a hedge about them, that they would not... Uh, act in ways that dishonor you. Lord, we pray that they too would, would, um, would uh, trust in you and, and share you with uh, the truth of the gospel with those around them. Lord, we pray that you, you would um, break um, the bow, Lord, that you'd break the sword. Lord, we pray that uh, Christ would return soon. Lord, we pray that we would truly be ready for his return. Lord, I pray that, that every day that we live um, would be by faith, such that we would all in this room finish well. I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus, Lord, that today they would trust in him, that they would believe that he died on the cross for their sins, that they may have eternal life. We pray in his name. Amen.